grateful for all of our musicians who lead us each week as we sing and worship together. And uh, Cindy, thanks for filling in. Michelle was supposed to be here today. You've been filling in for her a lot lately. Uh, she is up there expecting our first grandson. Uh, we were going up for Megan's 35th birthday. Hard to believe how old she's gotten. Uh, but anyway, we were up there for her birthday. And uh, both of the daughter and son-in-law said, you know, it'd, it'd probably be good if you just stayed. Uh, he, he's supposed to be here no later than the 20th, but she's going to stay up there for the duration. Uh, so as we were coming back, Papa and I were coming back after the birthday. And so we're kind of in charge of the house. And Michelle told me, I love you just the way you are, but I do have a few suggestions. So as you uh, are focusing on Valentine's, guys, it might just be mindful that maybe your wife has a few suggestions for you as well. And don't forget that Valentine's Day is coming up this week, and I think it's great what Ginger was asking her parents, how they successfully were married for 55 years, and her mom replied, we never hated each other on the same day. So good <laughs> marital advice as you um, prepare for Valentine's Day. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at the book of Deuteronomy. The Bible is one, one story in 66 books. And we've seen so many different times as we go through this series that we know that we have a problem. That's why we have the Bible. God tells us how we can have the problem resolved through Jesus Christ. We started off with Genesis. Genesis shows us how the problem began when sin entered the world through the rebellion of Adam and Eve. But that chapter about original sin doesn't end until God gives us the promise, the plan that he has for saving us through Jesus Christ in Genesis 3.15. God's plan involves a people with a purpose to reveal the truth about God. As you think about going out there to the Western Little League, what is the purpose of going out there? God has called us as his people to reveal the truth about God, not to pre present ourselves as being better than or more holy than anyone else, God has chosen us to reveal the truth about God. That's the church's purpose. We're called to do that. Genesis unfolds that story of God forming a nation beginning with Abraham, one man who has one son at the age of 100. But by the end of Genesis, there are 70 people in that nation, and they're living in Egypt. And so that's how Genesis closes and the Exodus opens up, and it fast-forwards us four, uh, four centuries to see that God's people are now numbering well over a million, but they're enslaved by Pharaoh. God miraculously liberates them from their slavery and sets them apart. Remember the term for holiness, sets them apart, to be a holy nation that lives by God's rule of order. God's rule of law. Leviticus tells us about God's plan and how we are called as God's people, the people of God back in the Old Testament, to be uniquely different from all of the other nations. We're not called to be the same like everybody else, to be uniquely different, and he establishes commandments and guidance for holiness. After a year at Mount Sinai, the Hebrew nation starts off for the promised land, and that's where the book of Numbers picks up the historical account. But you recall that the people of God balk at obeying God, and so they spend four decades wandering in the wilderness because of their rebellion and their resistance to go into the promised land. Now, Deuteronomy, where we pick up today, I just kind of wanted to catch you up real quickly. Deuteronomy is the retelling of that story that I just told you. 
We have five books that begin the Old Testament called the Pentateuch, and this is the fifth of the five. It retells the story of where we have come. It talks about God's expectations. For a new generation, Deuteronomy is directed to the younger generation. What's unique about this is you turn to Deuteronomy 1.39, and you will find that the very ones, those kids who have now grown up, they are the very ones that their parents said, we can't go possess the promised land because if we do, they will take our kids captive. And now those very ones that they said would be taken captive are the ones that are about to enter the promised land. Deuteronomy is called the second law. That's literally what it means. Second, it's an amplification of what was given at Mount Sinai in which God instructed his people. But now it's a brand new generation that's being instructed by God. And it's called, this name comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 18 through 20, in which the king was instructed to copy the law by hand. So whenever you had a new king, and this would be a great rule for our, uh, our president, come in and copy the word of God. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 18 through 20. When he, talking about the king, takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law, taken from that of the Levitical priest. It is to be with him, and he, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees, and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites, and turn from the law to the right or to the left. So that's why it's called the second, uh, Deuteronomy is called the second, the second giving of the law, and in there, embedded in there, is this instruction for the king that will come later on, and he's to write the law down. Every single king that comes in, he's to rewrite the law so that he will know and do it. So Deuteronomy, if you're trying to look for a summary of this, it's three sermons and an illustration. So I'm going to try to preach all three of them and then give it, and I'm just kidding. It'll be one, but you know, if you were to read through Deuteronomy, and it's again, it's another one of those three-hour jogs uh, through God's word. But Deuteronomy is basically summarized, you find it in, on page 272 in the, in the Pew Bible, basically summarized as three sermons and then an invitation at the end. And these three sermons are what Moses, this is his farewell address, broken up into three different places, his farewell address to the Hebrews as he is preparing uh, to die. So let me give you the cliff notes real quick, chapters one through four talk about God's people are to cleave to him and not to idols. Uh, 435, the Lord is God and there is no other. Drawing that line of demarcation that there is one God and there are no others. It sounds very similar to what we hear of Peter speaking to Jesus in John 6, uh, 6, And he says, Lord, to whom else would we go? You have the words of life. There's no one else that we can turn to. Also reminds us of what John Calvin said. He noted that our hearts and our minds are idol factories, that we are perpetually creating idols in our minds and hearts. And we must resist that and turn exclusively to God. So much in Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 3, 26 to 28. It's where God tells Moses, hey, quit whining. You're not going into the promised land. Don't bring it up again. Then he goes on to say in, in chapter uh, 4, verse 2, don't add to or subtract to this law, but keep it. Don't add to it, don't subtract to it, just keep it. That's the kind of math we as Christians need to practice. Don't add, don't subtract, just keep it. 429, you will seek God and you will find him when you seek him with all of your heart and soul. 
Chapters 5 through 6 give us that second sermon. It's the bulk of the book. And it's summarizing the moral, the civil, and the religious law of God's people. In chapter 5, you find the retelling of the Ten Commandments. So we had the, the Ten Commandments given to us in Exodus 20, and now they're retold to this new generation in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy. Chapter 7, verse 21, a very unique passage there. It talks about God saying that I'm going to give you the promised land little by little. You're not just going to barnstorm it and take over, but little by little, and you know what the reason is, so that the wild animals won't multiply. Because if you take it over too quickly, all the wild animals will multiply. So this is going to be a process, which is good encouragement for us, because many times in our lives, God works in a process much slower than the one that we would choose, right? Could anybody attest to that? And so we need to be patient. That's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Continue on uh, in verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 2. It said, God will test you to determine what's really in your heart. So as you're going through this process of taking over the promised land, there will be tests that come your way, just like for all of us even today. Tests that will come to us to reveal what's really in our heart. Because when a test comes our way, it does show what's inside of our heart. It kind of bleeds out. Chapter 15, verse 11. Love the way that these, these, these uh, verses are put together. Jesus would refer to this. You will always have the poor with you. And then he says, because of that, you as my people are to be open-handed, generous as God, God's people. And then he follows it up in chapter 16, verse 16. Nobody is to appear to God, before God empty-handed. Love the way that's phrased. We are to be open-handed to the people around us, and we are never to come to God empty-handed. But we should always have something to give him as an expression of our love and gratitude for who he is. Chapter 24, verse 5. I can tell I'm really exciting you by all these verses, so let me, you're going to like this one. This is the ultimate gap year. If you've not read this in the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 24, uh, chapter 24, verse 5. For all the men who were recently married, they were given a year off to focus on their marriage. Isn't that a great verse? I mean, I think that should be re-implemented, but it's in God's Word, really, the ultimate gap year. Chapters 27 through 31 give us the third sermon. I'm going to try to break this down just a little bit, and I'll try to be fast in doing that. But chapter 27 through 31, it reminds us of the reality that all of us have a choice. Every one of us, no matter which section you're sitting in, we all have a choice to choose between God's blessing and God's wrath or his curses. So as we look at this book that was written 3,400 years ago, and we wonder about the relevance, we need to be reminded that this book is quoted or alluded to nearly 200 times in the New Testament. And Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy more than any other Old Testament book in his earthly ministry. And have you ever used Deuteronomy when you're facing temptations? Jesus used Deuteronomy exclusively when he was facing the temptations given to him by Satan. Chapter 8, verse 3, we have that verse. It says, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus pulled that from Deuteronomy when he's been tempted by the evil one. Chapter 6, verse 16. You shall not tempt the Lord your God when, when Satan was trying to get him to jump off the pinnacle of the temple. Chapter 6, verse 13. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
It's important for us to remember that because we can look at a book like this and say, I'm so glad that we're getting past this. But God's using this book and can use it to enrich each one of our lives. Chapter 29, verse 5 talks about the great provisions of God. And while the people were wandering through the wilderness, their clothes and their sandals never wore out. For 40 years as they walked through the wilderness, same clothes. I mean, they had old clothes, old sandals, but they didn't wear out because of the provision of God. Chapter 31, verse 8, the commissioning of Joshua, who's going to be the successor to Moses. And he says that God will never leave you or forsake you, which would be quoted later on in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. The reminder that God will not leave us, he will not forsake us. So let's look for a moment at the core theme of this book. I've just given you a whole bunch of, of uh, langyap, I guess I could say, from the book of Deuteronomy. Now I want us to focus on the core theme for just a couple of minutes. The core theme is not just for this book, it's for all of God's people and all throughout God's word. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Have you ever heard or seen that anywhere around here? Printed on the wall out in the atrium, isn't it? We say relationships matter most, and that's not soft and fuzzy. I had a minister once tell me uh, that Westgate is Westgate light because we're kind of fluffy about relationships. And I explained, we're not fluffy about relationships. We're saying relationships matter most, our relationship with God and our relationships with other people. And here the core theme is given. Even today you will find the Jewish people reciting the Shema, which is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, and Shema means that. It means to hear, the most simplistic translation of that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. What is God saying? This is to always be in front of us. We are to always be mindful that the core of who we are to be as followers of Jesus Christ is that we would love God with our entire being. You've probably heard of phylacteries. You see them from time to time when they show pictures of somebody at the Western Wall in Jerusalem little leather box that is tied to the forehead and inside of there would be four strategic verses that the Jewish people would recite this being one of them and they would literally take this literally in which they would make this box of scripture and put in there to be on the the, the, the literally part of their forehead to put it on the door frames they would touch the doors as they go in to be reminded that wherever they go God goes with them and he is to be upon their minds Chapter 10, verses 12 through 13, really give us, I think, some strategic words for all of us to live by. Fear, walk, love, serve, observe. Don't worry, I'm not going to talk about all those in great detail. We just feel like we're not really connecting this morning. I just kind of want to stay with you because I'm just getting that sense that this is not yet connecting with you. So I want to dr draw you back in to hear a couple of these words. Fear, walk, love, serve, observe. Observe. Listen to what it says, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. Again, what is Moses doing? He is speaking to a brand new generation, and they are going to do what their parents refused to do. They're now going to go into the promised land. And they were young when their parents 
disobeyed. And so now Moses is coming back and saying to this new generation, this is how you are to live. It's a reciting of the law again. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? Moses speaking to them. But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Why do we have scripture? Why do we encourage people to read scripture? Why do we read scripture? It's not a duty to be observed. It is a blessing that God has given us for our own good because as we practice scripture, and I continue to believe that someone that practices scripture and obeys scripture will live the most productive, industrious, blessed life following after God and his word. Fear, and that reverence for God, to walk, stay on the path, to love him with all your heart, soul, and mind, to serve him, and to observe all these commandments. It sounds so familiar to what would be repeated in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So that's what we're called to do, is to fear and to walk, to love, to serve, and, and observe God's word. And then in chapter 10, verse 17, we're reminded that God is the Lord of lords, for the Lord your God. He is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, which we will hear repeated again in the New Testament. But we ask ourselves, is he the Lord of lords in my life? Chapter 10, verse 20. Fear the Lord your God and serve him and hold fast to him. Cleave to God. Do not let go of that relationship. Guard it with all that you have. So what is the mile marker that we find in the book of Deuteronomy that points us to Jesus Christ, because every book that we read in the Old Testament is an arrow pointing us to Jesus Christ. And we find that in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. Moses is saying to the people, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me. You must listen to him. Hear those words again. The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me. You must listen to him. That is an arrow that points us to Jesus Christ, and we find that in Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 35. All of this pointing to Christ. What do we find there? In Luke 9, 28 through 35 is, a, is the, the historical account of the transfiguration. It says about out eight days after Jesus had said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him, and he went up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as, as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw the glory and the two men standing with them. And as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to them, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, because you guys are all equal. He didn't know what he was saying. Verse 34, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. And they were afraid as he entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, This, Moses and Elijah are now gone. This is my son whom I am chosen. Listen to him. It takes us right back to the book of Deuteronomy. And we don't want to stumble on New Testament passages as if we're hearing them for the very first time. It's a throwback. Elijah, we already know, 
In the New Testament, it talks about John the Baptist being a forerunner that will go before Jesus and draw attention to him. And Moses is the foreteller of Jesus to say prophetically all the way back in Deuteronomy, God is going to raise up another prophet like me, but not like me. Because Moses won't go into the promised land because of his sinfulness. But God goes into the very holy of holies because he is sinless. Deuteronomy 21, 23. Anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Deuteronomy points us to Christ. So finding yourself in Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verses 19 through 20. Moses saying, again, repeating to a younger generation whose parents didn't get this, it says to them, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life for the Lord is your life. We have a choice, all of us, Christian, non-Christian alike. We have a choice as to who God will be in our lives. I think we have all winced behind the steering wheel at some point in which a squirrel darts out in front of our car and then reverses course. And in hopes of not flattening out Bullwinkle's best friend, we either slam on the brakes or slow down, but roadway remnants remind us that we're not always successful. That's why we shouldn't be as indecisive as those bushy-tailed critters. Because as, is, as it's been noted, the road of life is paved with flat squirrel, squirrels who couldn't make a decision. Don't be flattened out by indecisiveness about God. The way that Moses presents this to this young generation is to say 41 different times throughout this book, be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Why? Because if we're not careful, we will fall into that idol factory that John Calvin talked about. And as he does that, he gives us this beautiful picture of an antiphonal choir. How many of you know what an antiphonal choir is? It's where choirs sing back and forth to each other. And as Moses is laying out this plan for them to go into the promised land, he sets up this antiphonal choir that we position on two different mountains, Mount Gerasim and Mount Ebal. And those two mountains will serve two different purposes. From Mount Gerizim will come the blessings in which the people will call out the blessings of God. From Mount Ebal, people will call out the curses of God as a reminder to the people that they have a choice. And which way will they go? Will they follow the blessings of God by being obedient? Or will they disobey God and receive the curses that come their way? And we as followers of Christ, and those that maybe are not yet Christians, we have the opportunity to choose between blessings and cursings. And the Lord is the difference. He is our life. So what have we seen in the first five books of the Bible? That is one story in 66 books that we have a problem and only Jesus can resolve that problem. What is our problem? Our problem is sin. We are just like Adam and Eve. We have maybe done nothing, that has done anything that seems 
worse than picking off the wrong fruit tree, that that sin separates us from God. That's why Isaiah would say in Isaiah 59, 2, your sin separates you from God. That's our problem. So what's God's solution? Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him makes that decision to receive the blessing rather than because whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So the choice for us today is, which decision will we make? If you're not yet a Christian, I want to encourage you to think about voicing a prayer similar to the one that I will voice in a moment. And if you're already a Christian, pay close attention to the words of that prayer. It's a prayer that you can share with other people to help lead them into the kingdom of God, into relationship with them. But it's also a great reminder of what it means to be fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that as you give us your word, it is far richer and has far more meaning than oftentimes we think. And as we run through a book like this and look at all of these different highlights, we're reminded of how specifically you use your word to point us to the resolution, the solution, the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. So if anyone listening today has never received you as Lord and Savior, I pray that this would be the day that they would voice a prayer similar to this. And likewise, Lord, that those of us that are Christians would pay close attention as to how we can utilize maybe a prayer like this or something that we adjust to our own to help other people find you. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, we recognize that a generation, thousands of years ago, stood between two mountains and they were reminded that the choice they made would dictate the outcome of their life. And we're in the same position today. Help us to always choose you. To choose you as our Lord and Savior, and then choose you every day as the one that we will follow. Thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Love you all. Thanks for listening. And if you feel like God is moving in which you would like someone else to pray with you, maybe just get some more spiritual counsel, guidance, direction, know that you can meet us out in the atrium. Just bring this communication card with you. Put your name and phone number on there, and we can begin a conversation uh, that is convenient for you so we can move in that direction. Also, at the end of each one of the aisles, uh, a deacon and his wife is going to be standing there, and they will be there to pray with you. If you want somebody to pray over you, you may even come up and say, I, I can't even tell you what's going on, but would you just pray over me right now? Let's utilize this, this privilege to have people pray for us. And then I will be standing over the cross, and you're always welcome to come and kneel at the altar. So during this song, let's respond as God leads us as we stand together.
Have a great week. If you want to hear about the assisted listening devices and the, on your phone, come see me here by the piano.